this this whole thing that we're involved with, this this topic that Jamie has been leading us into, um, uh, I've got to just be really honest with you. It's really undone me. Um, I I was um, introduced to Brené's book um, last year by the guy that leads our pastoral um, stuff in our church, and uh, I read the title and flippantly said, um, I don't have any of those, um, because the book's called The Gifts of Imperfection. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get to the 400 laughs. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I don't know if I've got that many jokes, Um, but we'll try. Um, I, I, as I said, I, I brush the book aside and then I, I get to spend a bit of time with Jamie and he said, no, you've really got to read this book. And So I started reading the book and um, I just started being undone in the most beautiful way um, by God. And um, I think if you're up for, for this journey that we're on, um, God will do amazing things in you. That's right. um, he really, really will. And uh, we're a whole bunch of ages in this room. And uh, um, there's some folk here, you may even be um, over the retirement age. And um, so this topic of meaningful work might not right now be exciting you too much. um, But I want us to reframe our thinking around what this actually means. Um, Because um, I want to link it to actually, this is intrinsically who we are. It's what we are... Um, made for um, relationship with God causes us to tumble into meaningful activity so this isn't actually about work in the sense of what we do for a living um, I want to, in a way I want to veer away from using the word because our, in our society we get so much of our sense of identity from our job what we do for a living, people meet me and they say what do you do for a living and um, you know who are you? What do you do? Is the common thing that people say, isn't it? And if you are retired, you might actually find that quite a hard thing to say. I've spoke to lots of retired people, and you say, "What do you do?" Because I slip into that as well. So I say, "What do you do?" They say, "Oh, I'm retired." And um, there's a sense of there's a well, for some there is that, but for some there is actually a dip, and there is a sense of shame that comes. And um, so we, I want to just break away from that, break away from that mindset, and I want us to um, restore this sense of meaningful activity, meaningfulness, um, life with purpose, back to its original intention. Is that right? Because then it crosses over um, ages and stages and all the rest of it. Um, so, first of all, we're going to dive into a few verses in Scripture um, just to frame this, because this is not a bolt-on for a happier life. Okay. In fact, everything that is in Brené's book, I know that she's a social researcher, and so she's approached it from that perspective, but all of the stuff that she has found are not bolt-ons to a, a more wholehearted life. Um, they are... Um, really the fruit, they are the overflow of what comes about when we live life in relationship with our daddy God. Yeah? Um, and so if you, um, I've got a Bible and I want to turn to it. Um, we're in Genesis, um, Genesis 2. Um, Genesis 2, 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord then in um, verse 15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
So right in the first few verses, we've got, um, we've got God breathing his breath into us, humanity. And no sooner does he do that than he provides us with a context. He gives us a place to belong, a place to exist, and a place to thrive. Yeah? It's, it's intrinsic to who we are. We weren't left abandoned just to kind of make it up as we went along. He placed us in the right place um, for who we were. Um, and then it says this um, in uh, verse 19. Now the Lord God formed, um, uh, had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. So we're given this context, this place to belong. Um, we're given meaning and context. Uh, sorry, we're given meaning and um, purpose. What's also interesting is there's servanthood and submission. Who was here this morning? Okay, so we saw a video clip that um, Pete was being interviewed by Tim and, and they were using this word submission and it just struck me as I read this through before today that um, there's a submission in terms of man before God but there's even a submission from God to man because God submits to what man wants to call that animal. Do you see there's, there's such purpose for us in life. We've been elevated to such an incredible position. All of us, regardless of our gifts, regardless of the different talents that we've got, they are all for a purpose and for a reason. Um, if we, if Brandy Brown could time travel, she would have these things to say about Adam. Because what she noted in her research um, were these five following things. She says that is um, that living, um, sorry, that meaningful work it is essential. Um, it's essential for us to discover meaning and purpose through meaningful work. Adam finds meaning and purposes through farming and co-creating God in the garden. Um, she also says this, that conversely, being unable to engage in meaningful work brings distress to our lives. It's not simply an oh well, never mind, or an opportunity missed. Being unable to engage in meaningful activity has a serious impact on our emotional and physical and spiritual health. Brené Brown found in her research that those who didn't use their talents feel disconnection, emptiness, frustration, resentment. Shame, disappointment, fear, and even grief. Adam is secure and lives without fear. <laughs> He's confident and free to express his own gifts and talents. And she also found this that sharing our gifts and talents with the world is the most powerful source of connection with God. So Adam walked with God in the garden and could say, Look what I did today. I did that today, Dad. And he's bold and brave and confident before his dad, isn't he? There's no fear, there's no shame, there's no sense of, I might have got it wrong. 
that doesn't exist at all. Um, she also says this, that it takes um, commitment. It may not necessarily be an activity in our lives which pays our bills, or that we get, um, uh, or that we get to spend the majority of our time doing. So it does take commitment to be engaged in something meaningful. Sometimes we have to turn the TV off. Don't we to find ourselves doing something that's more meaningful. Um, only we can decide what is meaningful. Others can't impose it. What we find to be meaningful is as unique as we are. There is no separation in Adam's life in terms of what is meaningful and what isn't. He's in continual relationship with God and has no concept of life and therefore meaning apart from God. That's what's being restored to us through the cross. There is no separation for us between our life with God and the meaning that our life has anymore. Do you agree with that? Yeah? You've gone very quiet. Do you need another joke? <laughs> um, so that's how it got set up in the beginning. Um, and then, let's wind the clock forward, because then what happens is the fall. And there's a couple of obstacles and lies that enter the frame as a result of the fall. One of those, Brandon Brown discovered to be self-doubt, and the other one she discovered to be the whole thing of what I'm supposed to be. And the reason why this stuff has really impacted me is because I've wrestled for a long time with some of these elements. This whole thing of the self-doubt, the I'm supposed to be. Um, as Jamie suggested, I, I got quite a range of interests and range of things that I want to do with my time and my life, but I've had to push through the, the, my preconceived ideas of what those things are supposed to be or my preconceived notions of what other people think they're supposed to be, or even more than that, for us as believers, preconceived ideas about who we think God says we have to be. Which I think is a big one. Um, So so if we get on to this, this is the the Tower of Babel story. So this is Genesis 11. Uh, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and the same, and as... um, and as people migrated from the east, they found in a plain in the land of Shema and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. See, if Brené Brown could still time travel, she could go back to these guys... What she would discover is, number one, that these were people who were struggling with fear, disconnection, emptiness, and shame. Yeah? They said, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. That's totally different to what Adam said. Um, Secondly, she would say that they were searching for meaning and purpose. They said, let's build a city. They're trying to work out where they belong, what their meaning is. Um, what about this? She would say that there is a desire to connect with God. Because they didn't just build a city, they were trying to also build a tower. Why did they want to build a tower that reached into the heavens? Because there's this ache inside all of humanity to connect with God. Um, their freedom to express their gifts and talents was restricted. 
the job now had been restricted then from having the whole of the garden, the whole of the earth essentially as your playground to no, we've got to build this city, we've got to defend ourselves we've, we've got to take care of this mm-hmm. so they were restricted the other thing is um, the, the sense of their meaning was imposed by other people people were no longer free so that's what got taken away from us as a result of the fall um, I can talk about um, the, these different um, elements because uh, it's easy when you talk about Bible characters isn't it um, so I'll talk a bit about myself for a moment and make it a bit more vulnerable um, back in 2007 I was um, at that point I was a young dad I've been married for um, a few years I've been married for 17 years this summer so 7 years I've been married at that point um, and uh, we had two small children and uh, we were in the midst of moving house as a family so uh, we bought this um, tatty house that I was trying to do up in breakneck speed um, to be able to move my family into it. Um, I had um, started a business some years before that and I just incorporated it into a limited company um, and uh, taken on staff um, building a new workshop. Um, so I had the pressures of trying to build this business up. Um, I thought at that point it would be sensible to go into eldership in my church, so, um, and they thought that was a sensible thing as well. Um, so I became an elder in the church. Um, there were a number of things going on with my family. There were some health concerns, marriage breakdowns, that kind of stuff that was going on. And the whole lot just got on top of me, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, I remember I was distinctly in this, I was in my van um, pulling out of a timber yard and I remember being at the, the, at the exit of this yard and my brain just stopped working. Um, I've never experienced anything like it um, before that or since, but it was literally a moment where I could no longer function. Um, I couldn't think what was going on. And uh, up until that point, I had been spinning my plates fairly successfully, keeping all of this stuff going. Um, and I just hit this moment in this timber yard where I couldn't physically, I didn't know what I was doing. There was a, a car that was pulling out, and I, I just remember thinking, I'll just follow that car. So I just, in autopilot, just started following this car around the town. <laughs> and I got a few miles down the road. I dread to think what my driving was like but I got a few miles down the road and suddenly came to and knew enough of where I was that I could get home and I just got home and I just dissolved into a heap at home and uh, I was just burnt out I was just exhausted Um, and what was exhausting I think was it was this sense of all of these different elements of life all in and of themselves were all great all actually things that I was right to be involved with, but there was the sense of the expectation that I put on myself that was perceived expectation of who I believed everybody else needed me to be. But also, I've been a believer for years and years and years since I was a really small child, and I'd grown up with this, this sense of this is who God has called me to be. So I've got to be these things, I've got to be capable, I've got to live up to these things of what I'm supposed to be. And so this moment of, I can't do this anymore, was quite crushing. 
And uh, so I was, um, I found myself at a conference um, around this time, and um, uh, Jamie's mentioned that um, God's not a, mus- uh, not a musician. He probably is a musician. He's not a magician. <laughs> and um, but there are moments where God loves to just bring breakthrough, and He loves to rescue us. And uh, so I was at a conference, and uh, in this uh, meeting, I was. Uh, it was a ministry time, and. I was suddenly aware of feeling very unwell, but not like physically unwell, like in an illness type sense, but more like in, it was more like a a demonic oppression type thing. And uh, the the sense just increased in in me, and uh, there was some really capable guys that were able to minister to me, and really successfully just allow God to minister to me exactly where I needed it, brought words of knowledge to me that brought breakthrough for me. Um, and it was all around the goodness of God. And uh, it just completely undid me, because I've been a kid singing God is good, we sing and shout it for donkey's years, you know, grew up doing that. But in that moment, I realised that God wasn't only good, he was good for me. And then... Um, this, the guy that was ministering to me, he said, actually, God wants you to declare the goodness of God over your marriage. And for me, that was tough, because I had all these fear things going on in my life of husbands are supposed to provide for their wives and their children. They're supposed to do this, they're supposed to do that. And the fear was, if I can't do this, they're going to go, they're going to leave and so, for this guy to say, you need to speak that God is good and be your marriage, was the toughest thing. I actually couldn't do it initially. And, uh, and we just kept going. And then breakthrough came. And I declared it. I, could, I just declared the goodness of God over my marriage. And it was just phenomenal. It was elation. Do you, do you know that, that sense of breakthrough when God just delivers you and you go, that's it, I'm free, I'm absolutely free. And I knew God was good. And then he said, I want you to declare the goodness of God over your finances. Well, that was another challenge because that was part of the reason for all the fear anyway, was trying to get this business off the ground and taking this mortgage and all the rest of it. So again, speaking that out was another massive breakthrough. And then um, he also said that he wanted to declare, for me to declare that God was good over health for my family, which was another biggie. And again, just the sense of elation when I could, I could do that. And I came away from that com- conference with a fresh revelation of the goodness of God. Like I'd seen it for the first time. I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 20 odd years. And suddenly I could see that it was really, really good. But it set me off on a journey because then I had to say, well, how good is he? And so I can honestly say the last decade has just been a journey of how good is he? And this really has been what's got me here, I guess, and in this situation, because I just am so hungry to find out how good he is. Because actually what I've discovered is that this goodness means that he's not just good externally, he's good up close and personal because he's my dad. So I've discovered his fathering of me in a completely new way. And so that has reframed my identity now as a son. Because that's what you discover when you realise you've got a dad who's so good. And then what I've discovered is now I'm free, as his son, to behave like Adam did in the garden. Mm-hmm. 
And life now is about behaving like Adam in the garden. That's the point. So we get to do stuff with him. We get to create stuff with God. That's why um, I've got this workshop that I'm building at the moment because when I started leading a church, um, I closed my business down and, uh, um, uh, and I've done it for the last five or six years of leading the church. But God has actually promised that he was going to bring that back to, you know, to carry it on. And so I'm now going to do that as well. And, um, I'm really excited to be able to um, not have just one typecast of you have to be like this. Because um, actually for a church leader, it's, the whole thing of self-doubt and what you're supposed to do, supposed to be, is quite tough. Um, and uh, I've gone completely off my notes. Um, are you alright? Are you still with me? Um, and uh, this, this has been a continual journey. So although I said 2007 there was a start point for this, um, this has really continued. Um, so the last few years of being part of this global legacy set up here, um, me and Alan Cass were coming down to these meetings kind of five years ago, I guess, when I started coming down with you. And um, Alan introduced me to everyone here. Um, it's been brilliant because I knew from the age of 15 that I was going to get involved with church leadership. I, I knew that God had laid that on my heart and I absolutely love the church. My problem was the example that was set for me of what a church leader looked like didn't look anything like this. And I just struggled to think, well, I don't know how I'm going to make this work because I don't, I don't look like that, I don't sound like that, I don't behave like that. Um, and but what I've discovered is that I don't have to be typecast. Um, there's this verse in, um, in Ephesians that says this, His intent is that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, through faith, in, uh, and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is what this is about. Because I now get to be me, and you now get to be you. Um, this word, manifold, um, we, we know, you might know it means kind of multicoloured, multifaceted. I, I kind of see it like a diamond. Like we're all part of the body of Christ, aren't we? We're part of God's temple, the, the kingdom. And so you kind of see it like a diamond that's been cut, and each of us are like a facet, yeah? Except, this word actually means that each facet has multitudinal facets. Just look at the person next to you and say, I am multitudinal. <laughs> we didn't even know that word existed before this afternoon, did you? Multitudinal. What that means is I don't get to just be a church pastor or a teacher or a cabinet maker or a builder or a musician. It means I get to do a lot. And I don't get tied down to the world's definition of really what, what earns you your money. Because, yes, things do have to earn us our money, that's true. But God is our provider, isn't he? And we've been made in his image. And if we allow ourselves to be 
pigeonholed by the world's definition of what it means to be you. So if you're a mum, then that's all you can be is just you're a mum. Well, that's not going to display the multitudinal facets that you are. And even as a mum, that's multifaceted in itself. Because there's a gazillion ways that you can express that. And so we're waking up to this. And this whole thing of meaningful work, is meaningful activity, is that we get to wake up to who we are. So there's this quote that's, um, that Brennan uses, which is, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, and go do it, because the world needs people who come alive. Um, just going back to this verse in Ephesians, um, uh, it says, um, let me just read it again, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Number one, this is about his eternal purpose. As in the beginning, in the garden in Genesis, God's eternal purpose was that you get to be you. In submission to him, that you get to be you. And he actually wants to come to you and to receive what you've got. He loves to receive what you've got. He's so blessed when we bring who we are. Um, Next, he has accomplished this in Christ Jesus. We no longer live under Adam, do we? We're now in Christ, yes? So the only thing that will rob you of being you is what happens up here. It's only your thoughts that now need to come into an alignment with who God says you are. That's the only thing that needs to be broken now, is your own thought process. Um, which isn't too hard either, because um, that's now been made possible, because we get to be in these contexts where we have the mind of Christ. So we get to think differently after afternoons like today. Um, uh, thirdly, in him and through him we may approach God um, connection, freedom and confidence has been restored because of the cross, confidence, freedom um, and connection has been restored I know my dad in a completely new way than I ever did before 2007 the cool thing is I get to know him even more tomorrow because <laughs> this isn't it there's so much more your heavenly daddy wants to know you and wants you to know him more and more and more. This is so rich. This is so rich. Um, the manifold thing I've just talked about. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is um, this is about spiritual warfare as well. Because um, this verse says that um, uh, his intent now is that through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There is something about us coming together and gleaming together that sends the enemy running. There is something about the beauty that each of us expresses and then each of us honouring one another, listening to one another, being, seeing something of the glory of God that changes things, and not only in the heavenly realms, but then on the earth as well. And that's why this whole culture of honor stuff is so important. 
because it completely changes the environment that we're in. So this, this diamond, this, imagine this stone, what is at stake if we don't engage with this and be who God's made us to be, is there are elements on that polished diamond that are not polished, that are not gleaming with light. When we think that we've got to be like somebody else, you know diamonds, they, they, there's a colour, isn't there, that comes out of prisons, I don't know much about it. So, but there's the refraction of light, yeah, that happens. If I think I've got to be like Jamie, and I've got to shine, undershine his light because he's really cool and he's got really cool hair, so I'm going to have to come over like this and I'm going to shine like Jamie does. Well, then I stop being me and I stop. Do you see what I mean? Now, that number one, that means that that kills me a little bit, but more than that, that robs God of some glory. And that robs you guys and the guys out there from seeing that bit of God that I'm revealing. That's what's at stake, which is massively important, isn't it? And let's just, I'm going to finish with this. I'm just going to take this back to Genesis. Um, There's a statement that God makes, which I'm going to turn into a prophetic word over us. Okay, um, so after the guys have been building this tower and building this city, um, it says this, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. You see, for these people who had no connection with God, and actually their motivation was one of selfishness, that was a terrifying thought. But as a result of Pentecost, the whole deal has changed. Because this thing of nothing being impossible has now been reframed in the New Covenant. So what happens if God could speak this over us as a group? Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. You see, that's why I involve a church. Because I love engaging with people and drawing out from them who God's made them to be. Because... I'm living with this conviction that nothing is impossible for us when we are in unity, when actually it's God's glory that is motivating us and not selfish ambition. It sounds like revival, doesn't it? <laughs> so, um, the bits that I've been learning, I'm getting out of this, are we have time? Yeah? Um, number one, um, authenticity. Um, I'm an original, I'm not an imitation. So I'm learning not to behave like a copy of somebody else. <laughs> um, do you know I even find it a challenge sometimes coming in? I've found it a challenge sometimes coming to Global Legacy Meetings as a church leader thinking, God, I have some good news stories to share. 
And actually, as a church leader, even more so, you should have good news stories. Because it's not only your own stories, you share anybody else's stories from the church as well. So I can feel this condemnation sweeping over me because I can't think of it. Or the other thing happens where I think, actually, that's what I'm supposed to do. So even if I've got a good news story, I'll think, well, I don't want to get up there and share it because that's just going to play into the whole thing of performing and pretending to be something that I'm not. So I'll do somersaults <laughs> most months that I'm here because I can't work out whether I'm being, you know, there's some sort of selfish ambition to it or whether I'm somehow not good enough. <laughs> Isn't it funny? <laughs> It's not really funny, that's tragic. Um, I have got some good stories, um, but I haven't time to share now. Um, creativity. <laughs> um, uh, my gift mix is varied, so I engage in a variety of meaningful activities. Uh, I engage in a variety of meaningful activities. Um, I see myself as having multiple careers, regardless of where my income comes from. Um, please receive that one, especially if you're retired and receive it. Um, uh, I used to be a bench maker uh, and, and uh, uh, I never want to make an edit that um, Rest and effort. Um, it isn't a case of striving, but proactively living in the unforced rhythms of grace. It takes commitment and sometimes turning off the TV, as I said. Um, there's no secular or sacred divide. Do you know God is just as delighted with you? whether you are taking the dog for a walk or standing up preaching a message. He just loves you. He's just as delighted with you. He brings just as much glory to him. Um, connection with, with Papa is key. Um, believing his voice every day. Um, he calls me significant. Um, it calls me away from being narcissistic or self-doubt. Um, team. Team is really important. Um, connecting with others helps us engage in activity which flows from our gifts. It helps our hearts stay soft when we can't. Um, spiritual warfare is, is also a team game. Um, it is. Um, that's for another time. Um, servanthood and submission are restored. Um, uh, it's not a case that we have to. It now becomes that we get to. Um, so we have this thing in our church where I refuse to see rotors as things that have to be filled. Um, I see rotors as ways of um, giving everybody an opportunity to get involved. They're actually a way of managing people. <laughs> Crowd management. Um, now I get laughed at a lot because we've got lots of gaps and rotors in our church. Um, but I don't, I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is the idea that we could have people that might be on rotors who actually don't want to be. That would be more tragic if we've got people that are leading my children who actually don't want to. And we won't go back to filling up rotors for the sake of it. It's, it's got to be a thing of grace. People have got to do it because they want to and they get to, and it's a privilege, not because they have to. Um, and I'm convinced that all of us, when we are living in who we are and what our gifts are, living free from selfish ambition, actually the rotors will get filled up. In fact, it's going to be the other way around, isn't it? Like I say, we will be overwhelmed with people that you'll need rotors in your churches <laughs> just, just to, to create a little bit of order. Um, uh, can I also just say this, that Sozo really helps. Um, uh, I've had Sozos, um, and um, uh, not for your churches and your rotors, I mean, I mean for us personally. Um, 
this is not just about these sessions. This is a journey that God has got you on. As Alan said this morning, everything's a setup. God is setting you up to live a life of freedom.